Hello and welcome to another episode of the Craftsman Creative Podcast. Today I got to speak with Benjamin Putano. We met on Twitter just recently and it was an amazing symbiotic opportunity to have this chat so quickly after we met. In this episode, you are going to learn how long it can take to find your place in the creator economy. We talk about how being consistent can affect your success and why founders and creators should write and publish a book. So if you haven't yet, head over to craftsmancreative.co and grab the free five-day email series on how to master the creator economy and grow your business. Now, on to the episode. Welcome, welcome. This is Darren with Craftsman Creative. We've got another amazing workshop for you today. I'm really, really excited to be chatting with Ben Putano. We met just like this week on Twitter. It was pretty amazing. I put out like, hey, here's a couple of people I've chatted with on the podcast the last month or the last few weeks. And who should I talk to? And I don't remember if you were like raising your hand or someone recommended you, but I'm really glad they did because just in the back and forth of the DMs and chatting before we hit record, I'm like, okay, we we need to know each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. It's, it's great awesome. to meet you in Don't person. You and I'm excited to talk. Yeah, it's very cool. So Ben, why don't we give the audience, whether they're live or whether they're listening later, let's give them just a little bit of context going into the conversation today, because we're going to be talking about the entrepreneurial journey. We're going to be talking about book publishing and authoring books. So we've got uh, some things we're going to go deep on, but let's help people understand like why they should listen to you when it comes to these topics. Where Yeah. So I've been a writer my whole life. Uh, and for five years, I ran a content marketing agency for startups where we created blog posts, white papers, eBooks, landing pages, things like that. And I loved the work and I especially love working with the founders. Uh, entrepreneurs are some of my favorite people on earth, the ingenuity, the passion that goes into their work. Um, and I, I loved getting to see inside their companies and help them grow. Um, but then uh, around mid or early 2021, I um, had a bit of a revelation. I had the opportunity to grow my agency and I was envisioning what that would look like, you know, more staff, uh, less writing, less connection with those founders. And I kind of had a, uh, one of those like late night, midnight revelations where I realized I don't actually want that future for me. Um, and when I, so I had a brief moment of crisis after that, you know, cause my, my whole plan was, you know, blowing up right and right before my eyes. And I asked myself, what do I want to do? And, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm a, I live a pretty simple life. I, the only thing I really spend money on is books actually. Um, and as a writer, I've always wanted to write a book. So I thought, what if I wrote books? And, um, not only that, what if I helped other people write books? So uh, I started my book, Great Founders Write. And at the same time, I started learning more about the publishing industry. I was considering working with a traditional publisher, maybe going the self-publishing route, perhaps. And nothing really fit for me, especially as an entrepreneur. I want to keep my equity. Um, I want a, a partner, not so much a, um, a boss, and I don't want to just have a transactional relationship with some agency who's going to publish my book. So I saw this opportunity to create a publishing house for entrepreneurs and beyond that, for people who want a true partner in the process. Um, so that's where the idea of Damn Gravity came from. We are a book publisher for entrepreneurs. We publish uh, business, creative work, and personal growth books. 
We have one book out right now, uh, Stop Asking Questions by Andrew Warmer, uh, who's an, a fellow podcaster, actually, the founder of Mixergy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have two more books on the way. So uh, I, you know, ever since that moment where I, I realized I wanted to do something different, I've loved every moment of my work. Um, it's been a big learning curve as well. I thought it'd be really easy to transition from creating blog posts to creating books. I just thought it'd be like, you know, putting together 15 blog posts, but it's a really different writing process, but I've loved every minute of it. Of it. The founders, the authors I've met, the editors and ghostwriters I've had a chance to work with. Um, it's been awesome so far. Man, I'm sitting here listening to you and smiling because this feels so serendipitous. Like the not just the the journey that you just um, shared, but like the actual timeline of it all is pretty uh, crazy. How much there's overlap? So quickly, I just want to share it for your sake because we just met in the last week or so. So I had a decade plus um, career running a video production company. So it was similar to an agency in that sense. We did commercial video and documentaries and stuff like that. Kind of got burned out, wasn't making enough, had a business partner I was splitting the revenues 50-50 with. I was like, man, it's probably time to go and, you know, branch out on my own. Uh, and that was end of 2017. So I spent two and a half years working on a TV show as a producer and then got into feature films and had this crazy revelation at the end of doing the first movie, which is something I had spent 12 years of my life trying to make movies, right? Like that was the goal. I wanted to make movies, tried for over a decade and finally did it. And I realized at the end, I was like, shoot, this isn't what I want to be doing full time because I don't want to be gone for eight weeks at a time. I don't want to work 80 hour weeks and not be able to work on creative projects or help people or go to lunch with my friends and having to say no to everything for two months is kind of sucky. So I'm like, all right, well, what do I want to do? Because I actually enjoy the process of making movies. I just didn't enjoy the realities of like 80 hour weeks and eight weeks away from home. And to make like a decent income, I'd need to do five to 10 movies a year, which means I'd be gone all the time. So it was really last summer. Where I was like, okay, I had started building this craftsman creative thing and it was kind of like growing on its own in the background. It started as online courses, this platform that I started by that point, I think we had 15 courses on the site and had just crossed like 50 or 60 grand in sales. And I hadn't even touched it for two months. I was like, what is going on here? So I said, well, what if I took that and turned it into like my personal brand, turned it into like a content enterprise type thing? And here we are. And, you know, almost a year later and I have a book out and I have more courses out and a community that I've started and revamped this podcast to like have these kind of conversations and so this is very cool that we get to kind of deep dive on these topics because there's a lot of overlap with, I just went through the process of self-publishing a book over the last 10 months and this entrepreneur journey that I, I think we should start there. Um, it, it, we've got this crazy overlap. So let's start with kind of mindset, big picture stuff. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned going through the entrepreneurial journey that you've gone through? that you think are applicable and helpful for people who are maybe starting out or early in that journey? What are some of the things that stand out to you of like, these are principles that I now live by that will help people if they learn them early on and not have to go through years and years of suffering <laughs> to get to get that lesson? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Where do I even start? Um, 
Well, one thing I want to mention, actually, uh, hearing your story, there's even more similarity in that it wasn't the work that we didn't enjoy, but the um, almost like the pace of it or the work mm-hmm. environment. What I had trouble with as an as a content marketing agency owner was the rapid uh, turnover of work. We had to create work every single week, and it was just this endless cycle. I felt like a a, a hamster on a wheel. Just there was never ending. There's no big like aha, like celebration moment when you're just publishing blog posts. It's a very long, slow grind up the up up the search engine results pages. But with books, it's a t- 10 to 12 month process. And there is a very definitive launch day where you get to actually celebrate your work. So that's what I thought mm-hmm. I would like about it. And this turned out to be true, luckily. Um, but not everything turns, you know, as an entrepreneur, not everything turns out the way you think it will. I think one piece of advice I would give to my younger self or, or younger entrepreneurs is to not overcomplicate the product or service you're selling. Um, instead, just focus on doing really quality work. Um, I have a tendency to, to try to get too, uh, um, I call it strategery, you know, where I'm trying to be too clever with my business model or, you know, what we're offering. And at the end of the day, people just want consistency they want quality. Um, they want someone they like to work with too. So if you can just be um, that type of person, whether you're a freelancer or a service provider, or even just say say a, a, a SaaS product founder, if you can just be reliable, consistent, trustworthy, people like to work with you, you're going to be miles ahead of most people. And it's a it's not very fun, exciting to say that you know just be consistent and you know show up and do what you say you're going to do, but it really is the first step. And once you get that down, once you create a habit around showing up on time and being consistent, then you can really start to um, innovate on those business models and, and create something really special. That's so true. And I think there's a secondary reason to be consistent. Um, like you said, I'll echo that. The first reason is because you want to have a habit of being like a professional at this creative thing. If you're doing it sporadically or if you only create something once a year and it's you're just not putting in the reps to like get good, to understand the value that you're creating for people, to interact with your audience, all of those things. But a secondary, I'm, I'm not actually sure if it's a more important or less important or equally important thing. But what happened with me in the book writing process, I started writing in August of last year and it took about three months to write the first draft of the book. But I did something I think is semi or um, a little unique. I don't think anyone else has done this, but I wrote the book in public, hmm. meaning every time that I wrote a chapter, I would publish it as a blog post and put it in this ongoing Twitter thread for, I mean, 73, 75 days in a row, I posted something every day to that thread. And the consistency of that actually helps the audience understand that they should take you seriously. Because you're not a hobbyist. You're not just doing this as a flyer. You're like, no, you're committed and you're showing up every day. And what, you know, there's this thing where everybody in marketing talks about it takes seven touch points or 17 touch points or whatever for someone to like really have a marketing message ingrained and like to make a decision. And that's totally true. Like there were times where I saw, you know, the same dozen people liking a post or liking a tweet or whatever. 
And then a month in, they would join the email list or they would pre-order the early access to the book or whatever it was. And so showing up every day and being consistent, it's it's a, not a two-edged sword, but it's like it benefits you in more ways than just the habit and the process of like doing creative work consistently. It helps you grow your audience as well mm-hmm. because they take you seriously. Mm-hmm. So I think it's such an important thing. Um, one thing that we had chatted about quickly before we hopped on was like the timeline that we need to give creative projects or new businesses or just creative work in general, like time to start working. I think too many, well, I want to hear what you think about this, um, regards to timeline and like, how long did you give yourself to make damn gravity work? Because that's a big shift. And, you know, did you have runway? Like, what was your kind of mindset going into that? Were you thinking this is a long-term play, a short-term play? How did you approach that part of it? Yeah, I, once I had that revelation about wanting to switch into book publishing, I was pretty much sold from the beginning, but I worked (laughs) for another six months uh, with my content marketing clients. You know, at the time when I shut down my agency, it was the most profitable it had ever been. Um, I was just a solo founder. It wasn't anything crazy, but I was, you know, making a comfortable living, living, you know, just got married, was able to live in Chicago near downtown. Um, and, uh, I knew I couldn't just flip the switch. So for about six months, I was, uh, working on our first book, trying to working on my own book, trying to, um, drum up new business while also servicing my clients. And then I did something that I don't know if I would this is not financial advice and it's probably not even good financial planning at all. But I actually took out a business loan to, to give me more runway because again, I was getting married. I was going to be on a honeymoon for three weeks. And, um, I took out that loan after I landed my first two authors. I thought, you know, I just needed a little bit of extra runway, um, which lasted me about six months later, but that was, that was, that allowed me to, um, to sunset the agency and focus full time on damn gravity, uh, publishing books. But to your point about things taking time, it, everything in my experience has taken longer than I expected it to. And a lot of the, a lot of the, um, barriers that you come up against as a new entrepreneur, they kind of just fall away after a certain amount of time of being around. Like, you know, customers want to work with people that, that have staying power. They don't want to, they don't want to jump on a new product that's not going to exist in six months. And similarly, if you're running an agency or you're a freelancer, you know, typically you're setting up long-term relationships. So for, you know, I felt this really acutely with damn gravity, a book, book publishing is a much bigger process than writing a few blog posts. Like our authors want to know that, that we're serious and we can do the work. And, uh, I've been in it for over a year now and something has just clicked in the last few months. People aren't questioning, are you a real company? <laughs> Can you do mm-hmm. this now that we have books under our belt now that they've seen, uh, me, um, you know, now they're familiar with me online, um, talking about, uh, book publishing and, and still in the game, the conversations have, have shifted from, um, are you a, you know, are you credible to, okay, how do we work together? And, um, that's just, that's just huge. And it, it really only just comes with time. It's like, it's like wine, you know, it, it just takes time to age. Well, that's brilliant. And 
Yeah, I think there's a, a lesson in there because it's the same kind of timeline that I've experienced in my life. There's plenty of times I have, <laughs> call it a drawer or call it a, a wasteland on the on some part of the internet of just old domains and creative projects that I spun up because I had an idea and I was super excited about it for like a week. And then I was like, all right, well, it didn't really work on the launch, but maybe if I give it a few more weeks, it'll pick up few weeks later, uh, it's still struggling. So maybe I, I just brute force it for another month or two. Mm-hmm. And by mm-hmm. month, call it three to six, I just give up because I didn't get the results that I wanted. But with this project, with Craftsman Creative, and now like with any creative project I work on underneath that brand, I really am thinking in terms of like, is this something I want to be doing 10 years from now? So when I started writing the book back in August, I wasn't thinking about a community. I wasn't thinking about courses. I just thought I want to kind of enter the creator economy and be seen as not just a TV and film producer, but as like a creator, a content creator. And I wanted to have all those extra revenue streams as well. And so when the idea for a community came up, I didn't just spin it up, you know, announce that I was doing it and then give up after three months. I went very methodically and thought, okay, I'm going to test this out with a small group of people for like one to two months, A, to see if I like it, B, to see if I can provide any value and C, to see if it's like going to end up being profitable somehow. And by the end of those two months, I was so energized. And so I, I realized, yeah, this is something I'm more than happy to commit five to 10 years, if not more of my life to in order to make this a success and to create the kind of value that I think can create. But those are much longer timelines than I used to think in. And so the uh, when you give yourself that much, not runway, runway is the wrong word because that's more of a term around money and stuff. But when you give yourself a longer time to succeed in, it takes a lot of the pressure off. And you can just go and create create value for people, invite people in. It doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be now. It doesn't have to be sale ends in 24 hours. It can just be, hey, this is something I'm building and I want you to come be a part of it. And it kind of has a chance to organically grow to the size that it wants to be. And like you can start seeing new opportunities of where to take the business or how to expand it or where to optimize it that you never get if you only give it three or six months. The the Craftsman Creative thing, I started that spring of 2020, right as the pandemic hit is when I launched my first two courses. And it's now two years later that I'm just starting to see the inklings of like an uptick Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of a nice, steady, progressive growth. It's like, oh, no, last month was 4x what it was a year ago instead of just like 20% bitter. So I think an important lesson for those listening is that if you are going to start a creative project, not just like here's an album or here's a photo project or here's uh, a book. You know, if you're starting a business, you want to give it a lot more time than just like three to six months to succeed. Yeah. So I have a question for you on that, actually, because, yeah. um, you know, every regardless of your intentions, every project does start day one and then you have to go to day two and you have to at some point like make the call. Is this going to work or not? What signals do you look for in those early, early days that this is something worth pursuing? Yeah, that is a great question. I think we can use this to kind of transition into talking about book publishing and the power that books have beyond like extra revenue or things like that in our businesses. So 
when I started writing the book, my goal was not to just publish a book because I'd done that before. I knew what it took to write and publish, self-publish a book. And I was like, okay, that's a simple project. I could do that. But I, the reason I did it in public is because I wanted the signals that we're about to talk about. So the things that I specifically looked for, A, are people recommending the writing to their audiences unprovoked by me? Like I don't want to sponsor posts. I don't want to put advertising dollars behind it. Like are people resonating with the content and are they sharing it with their audience? That was a big one. And the second was, is my audience growing? So I set up a new blog on ghost.org. Like that's the platform that I created. I added blog.craftsandcreative.co to my website. And I created a new segment inside ConvertKit specifically for those that signed up from that blog. Because I wanted to know how many people came into my email list from the book. And so in six months from like writing to publishing it, Maybe it was eight, I don't know, August 25th to April 12th, whatever. I don't do public math. So like (laughs) eight or nine months, I think. Um, I grew the email list by 250 people. Half a dozen people had included a chapter as a link in their newsletter. People like Josh Spector, who's got nearly 20,000 subscribers. And what happened in those moments is like he would share a link. It would take people to to my blog where there's a call to action at the end, like if you like this post, you know, sign up, you'll get send you new posts by email. I would get 50 to 80 new subscribers every time he did that. And he's done it two, maybe three times in the last nine months. Um, Arvid Call was retweeting it. People with big, like 50, 80,000 following uh, Twitter, 80,000 follower Twitter profiles, <laughs> accounts, <laughs> you know, were retweeting my stuff and sharing it with their audiences. And so I was, you know, there were weeks where I would get a hundred visitors to the blog and then the next week it would be 500 and then it would be a thousand because someone shared it in their newsletter and you're just like, okay, those are the signals I was looking for. But I think an important thing to recognize from that um, part of my journey as an entrepreneur is you need to track stuff because the way that you grow any business is to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. That's it. Like it all boils down to that one phrase, that one principle. So for me, I wanted to know it was going to work. And so I chose those two metrics. Are people sharing it? And is my audience growing? And I methodically tracked it. I had a spreadsheet and every week I was going in and saying how many visitors and how many email subscribers and how many pre-orders once I started opening up ways for people to buy the book. So tracking is an important part of that mindset. So Let's dive in then from there and go into kind of like how books can play into the entrepreneurial journey for people. And I'd love to just kind of hear your take on like why people should do books if they have the opportunity, if they feel like they can write, if they feel like they want some outcome. Why is books the the avenue or the vehicle that you've chosen for yourself and your business? Well, the reason I chose books is is a very personal one. I just love reading books and I you know I years ago when I first had this idea I wanted to be an entrepreneur I gave myself permission to buy as many books as I wanted and not track it so talk about tracking things I still to this day have no idea how much I spend on books and I don't want to know because uh it's actually ended up being a great investment considering my line of work but um that's just me for for other entrepreneurs um I think a couple I think there's a couple big benefits to to writing a book um the one that i have felt most 
personally in writing my book. And I'm curious if you felt this as well. Um, I wrote, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm currently uh, finishing up my book called Great Founders Write Principles for uh, Clear Thinking, Confident Writing and Startup Success. It's a writing book for entrepreneurs. If you remember my, you know, backstory, this is my line of work. This is my profession. I helped founders write <laughs> uh, as a content marketing agency. So this is something I knew really, really well. I did not, I thought, I thought I was, I was, you know, a, a, a high quality writer and entrepreneur before I didn't know how much deeper I could go until I started writing this book. If you think you're an expert in something, try writing 40 to 50,000 words on the subject and see how much, uh, you really know, because it will take you so much deeper into your profession than you'll even realize. You might even find that you, uh, you have multiple books in you that you have to go even deeper, but writing a book forces you to really clarify, um, what, you know, but not only that, why it matters to people, it forces you to find examples and research to back up your claims. Cause you can't, you know, you and I are talking, I could say something like every entrepreneur should write a book, but if I'm writing a book on that subject, I need to back that up with data. Why should every entrepreneur write a book? So it forces you to go in there and and back up your, your claims with actual research. And with spending so much time on this process, you also have to think about the cadence or not the cadence, but the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the order of the content you're sharing, what's the best way to present mm -hmm. this, this piece of information to your reader, who is your reader? There's so many questions you have to ask yourself as you write a book, what is the readers, what is your reader's prior level of knowledge? There's so many things you have to think mm -hmm. about that we just sort of intuit as, as experts in whatever field we're in that you have to make solid when you actually write a book. And that process is really, really powerful. So you're going to become a, you're going to become better at whatever you're doing. If you write a book on it, like 10 times better, I think, I think I'm a, a 10 times better writer now that I've written a book about writing. It's very meta, but I swear I, I, um, the other thing it does too, is it forces you to, to practice what you preach. So if I say, uh, to, uh, if I say that commas add complexity and to simplify your writing, you should use more periods Then I need to do the same thing. And that's kind of hard for me because I can be a little verbose, um, but it's something I need <laughs> to do because I talk about it in my book. So that's just, that's just one example of how I've become a better writer through this process. So anyway, it makes you better at what you do. The other thing it does for I don't know why, you know, but this is something I, I want to look into more, but maybe it's the process of going, maybe it's because people recognize how difficult it is to write a book, but it still adds so much authority to, uh, to your, um, personal brand, uh, especially if the book is recommended by other high authority people. Um, I, I think part of that is legacy, the legacy of books and who knows 50 years, maybe no one will care about books. I don't think so. You know, if Lindy's effect is, is real, I think people will care about books for a long time still and still see them as high authority pieces. But, um, if you write a hot, really high quality book that's recommended by other really high quality people, your opportunities to grow as an entrepreneur and as a, as a influencer or creator are going to exponentially increase through speaking engagements, through podcast appearances. Yeah through consulting fees, through growing your business. It's pretty endless. And, not, and the third thing I guess I'll say, um, because it's, it's not trivial, you can actually make a lot of money writing a book. 
And a lot of, uh, I think there's a, a common, common belief these days that a book is like a, just a really expensive business card because it does get you in, in a lot of doors or in a lot of rooms that you wouldn't get in before, but you still can make good money on it. Um, using non-traditional publishing routes, I think is the way to go. Not so much self-publishing. That is an option for sure, but, um, forms of hybrid publishing, like performance publishing, which is what damn gravity is. That is a, a, a better way to make money. And then expanding your IP into other pieces of content is really where you make a profit. So you turn a $10 book into a hundred dollar course or a thousand dollar course or a $1,500 a month coaching package like Sevilla Lavingia did, uh, the author of The Minimalist Entrepreneur. Andrew Warner, for example, the you know our first author, the author of Stop Asking Questions, you know, we published on, we published hardback, paperback, Kindle on Amazon, you know, $10, $13, $18, pretty normal stuff. We've made some good money uh, through those books, but where we've made the majority of money, despite maybe being a quarter of all sales, is a premium version of the book we created in partnership with Holloway, which is a digital book publisher. So there's a digital version of Andrew's book that has audio clips embedded into the book. Oh, so wow. as you're learning about his interviewing techniques, you can actually go and listen to those techniques in action. And then on top of that, we created a three hour video course to add to that book, as well as a bunch of other resources. So we created this multimedia package that we now sell for a hundred dollars. So for the serious fans, they go straight to that one because they're going to get so much more out of it. So now you take a $10 book and turn it into a hundred dollar book. And, um, you are, you know, 10xing your revenue off the same IP. So IP expansion is really important. Okay. There's so much we could dive in. On I know there. I sort of went on a tangent there. <laughs> and like, <laughs> when I'm personally invested, cause like I said, I've just launched like self-published and launched my own book. So now I'm sitting here going, Ooh, there's an idea. Ooh, yeah. There's an idea. Oh, that kind of overlaps with what I uh, am trying to do with the whole business that I've created. Right. So one thing that I would love to just kind of zoom in on a little bit is the mindset around the purpose of writing a book, because you gave three reasons. I'm sure there are many more, but only one of those was like to make money, to have a new revenue stream. So I'd love to just kind of hear more of your thoughts around the approach that um, people should take or could take as they're writing a book and thinking about writing a book for their business or for their brand or to reach more people. Because I think when you approach it with a bigger vision than just the singular, I'm going to make 10,000 or a hundred thousand or a million dollars from writing a book. That's where like the real value lies. My own experience um, emphasizes that because like I wrote a book in public and had people starting to invite me on their newsletters or their podcasts. And then I offered to print copies out of my own pocket and bring them to different conferences. So I did that at Creator Economy Expo last month. And next week, I'm going to Craft and Commerce in Boise for convert, the ConvertKit Commerce or conference. And the opportunities that have come, because I'm, ex I'm thinking of it as a lever or a vehicle to like enter the creator economy, be taken seriously, like the opportunities so far outweigh the cost of self-publishing, printing 200 copies, driving and flying myself to conferences, all that stuff. You know, we're talking, I'm probably in the book 
nearly eight or ten thousand dollars at this point between editor, printing, all the publishing costs, all the shipping costs, traveling to conferences, conference tickets and registration. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it's ten thousand dollars at this point. But not only the dollars that I've made from books and consulting and coaching and all that stuff, but also the opportunities and who knows where the opportunity is going to end up a year or two or five from now. Like I've already broken even and I'm making money at this thing. But I think part of that is because I had the mindset of this is a vehicle. It's not a means to an end. Like, well, it is a means to an end. It's not the end in and of itself. It's not great. I wrote a book and now I'm going to move on to the other thing. It's like, no, I'm going to ride this book for like a year and see what opportunities can come from it. I'd love to just hear how you approach that with your business. And even when you're talking with authors, do you have similar conversations or how do you approach the reason behind writing a book with them? That's a great question. I I used to think that everyone should write a book. And to an extent, I still think that's true because you know, I spoke about the process of going deep into your expertise and that's really, really valuable for anybody. But when I am, um, uh, vetting potential authors, I really grill them on whether or not they want to do this. A lot of people underestimate what goes into writing a book. I'm talking 10 to 12 months minimum. If you're writing it yourself, I mean, I'm on month like 18 of writing my book. It is a long process and it can be grueling at times. I don't think everybody is cut out for it. Um, Questions I ask, uh, I mean, very simply, I want to know what success looks like for them. Um, If, Mm -hmm. and I get, I get a range of, of, of responses. Some people, you know, just very strictly want it as a, as an authority builder. You know, they want to have a book so they can get on a uh, conference, you know, keynote uh, radars. Some people uh, want to become New York Times bestselling authors. If those if those two things on the exact opposite ends of the spectrum, if those are your primary motivations, I actually shy away from working with those types of authors. Um, on one end, if, if your goal is solely to, to build your resume, I don't feel like your heart is really into developing a book and you might not have the patience and the grit to get through the process. There's easier ways to build your authority is my point. Um, you can just stay on Twitter all day. Um, or, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could, you could build your authority. And on the other end, very few authors end up on the New York times bestseller list. So if that is your only definition of success. Um, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. Now, Wall Street Journal bestselling uh, author, authorship is actually a lot more attainable, especially for nonfiction authors. It's a lot more straightforward process. And that is a, a realistic goal for our authors with, that we shoot for. But the real, the real um, I guess, motivation needs to come from wanting to share your expertise, wanting to give back to people who have helped you. Um, and there's a mix of wanting to, you know, continue building your career as well. So it's, it's a mix between, uh, building your authority and, and finding commercial success. If that makes sense. That's not a, that's not a super articulate answer, but, um, that's okay. I'm putting you on the spot, no. but I, I think no. you're nailing it in that 
there has to be more than just the monetary aspect, right? There has to be more than just, I want to make money selling this product. I think that goes for business as a whole, not just product mm -hmm. by product, but like your entire business, if it's completely driven by dollars, <laughs> just like, how do we make more money? Well, there's a lot easier ways to make money than writing books or publishing podcasts or whatever it might be. Like creative work is not necessarily the most instantly lucrative thing that you could do with your time, but people do it because it has this possibility of transforming and changing lives. And that's, to me at least, that's a greater purpose. It's a greater mission. It's a greater reason to be doing the work. And I had to go through that process myself from like, really thinking about, man, how do I make more money? I'm not making enough. I need to figure out how to make more money. I need to increase my revenue. I need like, those were like the constant hum, mm -hmm. like of my, the stuff that's churning in the back of my head all day long. And when I shifted from that to pursuing contribution and growth, well, the money kind of took care of itself, oddly enough, because all of a sudden I was in alignment with who I actually am. I'm someone who cares about helping people, I'm someone who cares about growth and progress and those kind of things. So you combine all that and you align the work that you're doing with who you are and the goals and dreams you have. Everything else kind of falls into place, at least in my experience. So I'm just glad that like from this conversation, people can take like, oh, okay, it's not just about going through the process of writing a thousand words a day and publishing a book and then money happens. No, all of the opportunities come because of the reasons that you're doing the work. And that's what people are resonating with. They might resonate with the content. They, you might be able to help them. But I don't know. I think people can read it from a mile away. Like if your goal in writing a book is to make money, I mean, you can just smell it. Like we've all been through the, the book funnel before where it's like, buy this book for free plus shipping. And then immediately the next page, you get an upsell and then you get put into an email list. That's upsell, 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 buy this thing, buy this course, buy this coaching, buy this thing. You're like, gosh, like you're not in this to help me. You're in this to create a funnel that you can shove a hundred thousand people through every month and, you know, squeeze out some revenue on the back end. And it feels gross. I have three books sitting on my bookshelf that I bought from those kind of funnels and I've never cracked them open. Because by the time I got them and had gone through that funnel, I felt like taken advantage of almost. Mm -hmm. So I just think I wanted to hi highlight that because I think it's such an important thing for founders, authors, creators, entrepreneurs, whoever it is that's going to be writing a book to approach it in a way where it's like you've got a bigger purpose than just I want to make money. I think you summed <laughs> it up so well. And I'll try to I'll try to resummarize my point. If you want to write a book, you need to have the motivation of changing lives. Books are one of the few mediums I think that genuinely can, you know, become a paradigm shift for somebody. You're one person before you read the book and you're a completely different person after you read it. Books have that power and you as an author need to have that motivation. I want to work with authors who want to change lives. Now, that's not just a touchy feely comment because to change lives, you actually have to reach people. So you need to have some level of commercial success to reach enough people to change lives. But at the same time, you need to create a really high quality book that resonates with your audience. So there's that duality. There's commercial success with really high quality work. Actually, you know, that reminds me of Tiago Forte, who just published a book, a little plug for him. 
he published a book called mm -hmm. Building a Second Brain. And he said something that was so fascinating to me that I had never thought of before. He said, people still recognize books as cultural artifacts instead of commercial artifacts. And therefore, they're much more willing to share it and recommend it and put it on their bookshelf. And there's a, there's a real power to that because um, when you are a cultural artifact, you are, um, you know, you're, you're actually a part of someone's life as opposed to just living in their sales funnel. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Well, I'm really happy we got to that place because I think it's one of the bigger takeaways that we could give people from this conversation. Um, so I do want to be respectful of your time, but we did have one question that um, from your group, from your audience that was submitted that I think is a perfect place to talk about yeah. here. Um, this person, Artisanal OA. Her name's Molly. <laughs> Molly, yeah. there we go. So she says, I'd love to hear more about having a thesis slash focus for a blog. I'm all over the place. My blog is for my business. So want to make sure there's at least a common thread in all of it. And my takeaway, or at least how I think we could answer that um, from what you just said or what we've been talking about with book writing is that it's really important to think of the transformation that your reader is going to go through. What are you helping them do or learn or become or accomplish through your writing? And so I really love, there's this group, um, a business called Tiny Little Businesses. It's run by Andre Chaperone and Sean Twing. And they are just two of my favorite internet writers. They are incredibly talented at email marketing. And that's why I joined their courses and their community because I'm trying to learn email marketing and get better at it. But they talk a lot about tension and I'm looking for it. I just shifted my office around so I don't have this thing. But generally on my desk, I have a spring that came off of our trampoline in the backyard when it started breaking. And what a spring does, it literally like... It stretches out and then it resolves by coming back together it snaps like you create this tension by stretching it out and then it snaps back and the more that you can create tension between like where people are where they want to be the more you can position yourself and your writing and your blog or your book or whatever as the bridge between those two things it's like yep just buy this book or read this blog or subscribe to my newsletter and I'm going to walk you over this bridge to the destination that you care about. Um, but I'd love to hear your answer. Uh, a, do you agree with what I just said? <laughs> but also, like, where, how would you answer that question about having a thesis or a focus around a blog or for a blog or for your writing? Yeah, I love that metaphor of the spring creating tension and uh, serving as that bridge from where your customers are now to where they want to be. Um, I would approach this in a couple different ways. It's m mostly question-based. I would ask, ask three questions to start. First, what is your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish as the writer of the blog or the builder of the business? What, which means like, what type of business are you trying to grow? Um, which immediately uh, rolls into the second question of who is this for? And there's a lot you, we can dig into with really understanding your audience. I have a whole section in my book about empathy uh, questions you should ask to learn what they want, what your customers need. And there's a big difference there between what they want and what they need. And then the third question is, why should they care? And that question is, a, there's a lot to unpack as well, because it's not just giving them the thing that they're, they're looking for, but 
what is going to motivate them to take that journey with you? So I think if we combine your idea and my idea, we have a bit of an answer there. You have to know what you want. You have to know who you're writing for, and then you have to help them get from where they are today to where they're going next. And that bridge, we can call it the why should they care bridge. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think, I don't know that like a blog or a Twitter feed or a book or anything has to necessarily have like a singular, like the idea of a thesis, it seems very constrained to me. Like that's something for maybe one piece of writing, but not the blog as a whole, at least that that's my gut reaction right now. And so I would think bigger picture for the blog itself or for the book itself and then each chapter can kind of have its own thesis or its own outcome that you're helping people achieve or, or whatever it might be. One of the best things that I came across when I was um, preparing for and thinking about writing my book was this book called Write Useful Books by Rob Fitzpatrick. And it was fun. I just had a conversation with him yesterday for his show or his podcast. So we got to talk a lot about the stuff. So it's top of mind. But like every chapter should be making a promise to your reader. And this kind of answers the why should they care question of yours, which I love, because if you never think about why should they care, then you're writing it selfishly and you're not actually thinking about helping people. Um, but in his book, he talks about like how to actually write your chapter titles so that they're making a promise to mm -hmm. the reader. And so instead of saying, thinking about blogging, question mark, it's like using your blog to create customers or something like that. Right. So all of a sudden they know going in, first of all, there, you created some tension by saying, this is where you're at and this is where you'll be by the end of the chapter. And it kind of pulls people to want to read the chapter. Um, so there's the tension part, but like the thesis comes down in that very, in the smaller um, chunks of your business, not necessarily in the business of a whole, at least maybe I'm being too literal with the term thesis, but um, yeah. What do you think? Like should a blog, does a blog need to have a thesis or a singular focus or is there a different way that you would think about that? There, so I, I, I get her question because I've, even in the past, I've struggled with figuring out what my newsletter or blog or, um, you know, book even should be about. There's, I think, I think of it in two, there's two different directions. There is, uh, there's identifying a niche, like a very specific topic and going all in that way. For a lot of people, that doesn't really make much sense, though. I know for me, I I don't like all that constraint. So I really like what uh, Amanda uh, Natidivad said about this. She we were talking about the idea between having and you know, do you need a niche? Is what I asked her, and um, she said no. And instead, look for what really differentiates you, which is the intersection of um, what you enjoy doing what you're passionate about and uh, what people need from you. And that could be a, a wider variety of topics, but if you stick with that, that trifecta of an intersection, I think you will find a lot of happy customers and a lot of happy readers. Yeah. I love that. Um, we just, I had another conversation just like last week about uh, your niche, your niche. And um, one thing that I, took away from that, which was really interesting is yeah, a lot of people approach that topic or that question of like, it feels really limiting for some reason, like you're cutting off 90% of your potential audience to narrow on 
10%. And why would you ever do that? Because you're limiting your potential for growth and blah, 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 blah. And I would agree with that statement if you have a million people following you and you're deciding at that point to niche down and only serve a certain segment of that group, right? But generally speaking, they've already gone through the process of finding and defining a niche and then growing from there. And that's why they have this massive audience. So when you're early on, if you have 50 or 100 or even like me, 1,000, 2,000 people on your email list or your Twitter following or whatever, like a niche actually serves you a ton because you're not saying I, uh, I only want to serve this audience. You're saying this is my ideal audience. And there's a big difference between like only and ideal. And so when you say this is my ideal audience, what it allows you to do is it, well, first of all, it just makes everything in front of you easier. You know exactly who you're writing to. You know their needs. You know their wants. You know their pains. You know what they want to accomplish. You know their desires. And you know what they're hiring you for because you have such a clearer picture of who it is that you're writing for. So I would just hesitant. I'd be hesitant to for people to write off the niche conversation, especially early on in their journey, because doing that for myself because initially my book was for entrepreneurs and founders and startup people and contractors and freelancers and artists and creators. So I was just like, let's loop everybody in. And when I narrowed it down and my book uh, subtitle is how five figure creators can build six figure businesses. I, there's plenty of people who are, who wouldn't ever call themselves a creator. They consider themselves a developer or a freelancer or a writer or whatever they call themselves, but they see themselves in that because I used a psychographic, not a demographic. I used a desire, not a definition of a group. And I just said, look, if you're here and you want to be here, this book is the bridge. That that tension is inherent in that subtitle. If you're making five figures a year and you want to make six as a creator, here's how to do it, right? So I, I just felt like that was important because I've heard this a number of times just in the last month or two where it's like, this argument or battle between defining a niche or not defining a niche. And there's a lot of people espousing that you should. And then there's always some one or two people that are like, ah, I disagree. I'm like, okay, well, let's just get clear here. Like it will help you early on. Maybe you shouldn't do it if you got 10 or 50 or hundred or million uh, people fo following you five, 10 or sorry, 10, 50 or a hundred thousand or a million people following you. Um, so there's my two cents on the whole niche yeah. conversation. So I think the trouble is like identifying that niche and committing to it. How do you do that? For me, like it's what I just said. It's you don't look at it's um, desire, not definition, right? So I'm not looking to go and target like I would an ad and say, I'm only writing for people that are 18 to 24, female, um, they shop at, Macy's and Louis Vuitton or whatever, and they look at these websites and blah, blah, blah. Those are descriptions or definitions of their um, demographics. And I don't ever do that. I look at psychographics. What, Where are they at and where do they want to be? And what's the desire inherent in the journey that they're trying to go on and they're stuck? So for me, it was independent of your age, where you live, um, what you look like, where you shop, how much money you make. Um, it wasn't about any of those things. It was about if you're a creator and you want to be making a full-time living, doing what you love, that's who I'm writing for. And how do you, like, 
the picture you have in your head of that person is probably so nebulous that you wouldn't even be able to describe it to me. Are they male or female? I don't know. Are they old or young? I don't know. Because it's not a demographic thing. But when you define your audience based off of their desires, then all of a sudden you can serve them so much better. And you do have actually a wider audience and you have all these different like categories or definitions of people. So you're not like limited to like 18 to 24 year old white females living in suburban Atlanta or whatever. (laughs) That's limiting. Yeah, I would hate that too. And, but a lot of people think that's what we mean when we say define your niche, like limit the amount of people that you're serving. No, it's just focusing in on the actual part of the journey in someone's life that you can help them with. So I think that for me is how I define it. And whenever I create a new product or even when I'm sitting down and writing a newsletter each week, I do take time to think about, okay, these are artists and creators. They're not strategists like me. They're not like, you know, producer types who love spreadsheets and numbers. They're, they're creators who want to figure out how to grow their businesses and just the like little five or 10 seconds it takes for you to think about the niche that you're serving allows you to create content so much easier because you know exactly how you're helping them in this specific way today with this one blog post. Love that approach. Yeah. There's clearly a lot of different ways to go about this. If you're, if you're mm-hmm. feeling stuck, like where do I even start? Which, which strategy do I choose? I would say just freaking start writing and you, your audience will tell you what they are interested in. I know James Clear says, uh, said that, you know, in the first six months, he, he wrote about all kinds of topics until he got the signals from his audience that they wanted to really learn more about habits. Just start writing, yeah. figure out what you enjoy. I remember when he was writing about like intermittent fasting and workout <laughs> right. stuff. I was like, right, right. So figure out what you enjoy <laughs> writing about, figure out what your audience is, is enjoying hearing from you. And they will tell you, they will give you mm-hmm. that. Heck yeah, this is awesome signal if you if you hit the nail on the head and then just keep doing more of what works like you said earlier yeah to wrap it all up and bring it full circle it's like yeah once you've honed in on what you want to be writing about and how who you want to serve and how you want to serve them stick at it for a couple months because it takes time for those things to start surfacing and for those signals to pop up you know it really didn't happen for me until i had like 1500 email subscribers and and twitter followers up until then, it felt like I was tweeting and writing in the void. Like I wasn't getting comments. I wasn't getting email replies. I wasn't getting comments and retweets on my stuff. It was only when I started doing it consistently every day and grew it by 500 or 800 new people that it was like, okay, because pushing all of that content out into the world was these little like beacons of like, hey, this is something I can help you with. And the people that it was for they would find it or someone would share it with them or they'd discover it or whatever it was. So yeah, you got to give yourself the time going back to the first part of the conversation to let that happen. If you're not seeing those signals, don't give up. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you need to keep mm-hmm. going before you give up because sometimes those signals take a while. Yeah, to pop I've up. been telling myself these last few months, especially because we're in the, in the middle of a publishing cycle right now, just stay in the game, mm-hmm. just figure out how to stay in the game. If you do that, you'll figure it out eventually. Exactly. I'll say it again. It took me 12 years to produce my first feature film. So like, I think 90% of the success I've had came from the fact that I stuck around long enough to get the experience, make the connections, gain and earn the trust from the industry and the people in it here in Utah, 
that they're like, oh, I could totally hire Darren Love for that it. thing. If I gave up after two years, I never, I'd probably be an accountant. Right. That's so cool, man. <laughs> my, my secret life. dream is to transition one day from book publishing to film or at least, or at least be that bridge, you know, between the books and, yeah. you know, turning them into feature films. I think that would be so cool. Hey, just start doing more fiction stuff and you'll get there. <laughs> there you go. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Well, I feel like this is a good place to wrap it up cool. for today, but I mean, I'm really looking forward to just the fact that I met you here. We've had this conversation. I feel like we're going to be friends yeah. for a long time going forward. At least I hope you feel the same way. <laughs> um, so where do you direct people if they want to learn more about you, if they want to follow along with your entrepreneurial journey, if they want to learn from you, share all of the things. Yeah. Us. So Twitter at Benjamin Patano, P-U-T-A-N-L. Um, website damngravity.com um, and we are going through our first great founders right cohort oh greatfoundersright.com as well to read a free chapter of my upcoming book and then uh, over the next couple of months we'll be running a few more great founders right cohorts so if you are a founder who wants to uh, communicate more clearly and confidently uh, who wants to clarify their vision and also uh, meet other spectacular founders to go along this journey. Sign up for a great founders right cohort. Um, it's greatfoundersright.card.com. And um, there'll actually be a link on on the website here soon. We're actually, this is like the beta version right now, but, but it's going really well. So we're definitely going to do a few more. Uh, but yeah, greatfoundersright.com, damngravity.com, at Benjamin Patano on Twitter. That's super exciting. Now I have to ask because you said you're a book publisher. Are you taking open submissions? Like if someone has a book or they want to talk to you about that yep. stuff, are you taking you know cold cold emails from people or oh, yeah. uh, is there a better no, way? No, gravity.com. <laughs> there's a there's a uh, contact form there. If you are, uh, you don't have to necessarily be an entrepreneur, but if you're writing a book on business, creative work, or personal growth, whether you have the manuscript or you completed, or this is just an idea in your head still. Uh, come talk to us. Even if you even if you want to write a book, but you don't know if you have the time or capacity to write it yourself, we do full service publishing as well uh, for authors, which I think is a really great underrated way to create a book. You still get a ton of value from that thought process of developing a book, even if you're not like the person typing all the words on the page. Uh, there's no shame in that. And um, a, a lot of world-class books that we don't even know were ghostwritten were, were ghostwritten. Um, so it's worth mm -hmm. checking out. Yeah. Damngravity.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let's write some great books. Awesome. Awesome. Ben, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks for making the time today and, uh, we'll be seeing you yeah. around. I'm sure. Yeah, Great meeting you, Darren. <laughs>